0: In the face of the current atrocities perpetrated against the Ukrainian people by the government of Russia, we want to make you all aware of an opportunity to provide free therapy to those most impacted by the war in Ukraine. The organization called It's Complicated has created a platform for therapists from all around the world to offer their services for free. Particularly if you speak Ukrainian or Russian, please consider creating a profile at It's Complicated life slash en slash It's complicated is providing a secure online platform to conduct the sessions and will match people needing support with available therapists free of charge Please consider creating a profile to provide free therapy to those impacted by the war go to itscomplicated.life/en/ukraine We want to give you an update about somatic integration and processing trainings coming up SIP 1 and SIP 2 are both approved for 21 NBCC hours. And we have big news. They are also each approved for 10 hours of approved advanced credit through MDRIA. So if you're working on your EMDR certification, SIP trainings can count towards your needed advanced training hours. We're so excited to be able to offer this to all of you. More exciting news is that we're offering SIP 1 for an Australian time zone. On July 22nd through the 24th, we will host a virtual training starting at 7 a.m. UTC plus 10. If you're in another time zone, you're welcome to attend this one as well. But we've had so many people from Australia reach out about SIP that we wanted to make it more accessible for all of you. We also have SIP-1 available in American time zones on June 23rd through the 25th and again on October 20th through the 22nd. Go to our website for all this info and more at beyondhealingcenter.com or email us at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Thanks so much. welcome to the evidence-based therapist a podcast where we read so you don't have to
1: here you'll find three therapists discussing cutting-edge research articles explaining why and how people work together to find healing
2: welcome back to the evidence-based therapist
1: we are here
2: melissa caleb myself we're back we're back all of us back in the studio Yes. Um, we're surrounded by plants. Um, it's a sunny day and we are, uh, getting ready to do what we love, uh, most, which is review another, uh, empirical article. Is yes. that
0: what we love most? I mean, it's, it's top three. I, I love it
2: <laughs> the most. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's for sure tied for one. I have a lot well, it's of a like, tie for one. Okay. I love the most.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah I'm going to say, I can have multiple.
1: Three, Each of my different self states has like a number Ooh. one, and this is definitely one. I appreciate of them. that. Yeah.
2: That's incredible. Flexifying. Yeah. The specificity. That's amazing. Um, today we are continuing our series into embodiment and what that is, and we're moving into. Now, uh, more of how our embodied experience as a human being in the physical world gives way to uh, the complexity of mind. Mm-hmm. And we're reviewing uh, an article that um, came out in the late. 2009 uh, 2000, yeah, mm-hmm. 2009, yep. and is called the scaffolded mind higher mental processes are grounded in early experience of the physical world
0: straight out of yale
2: straight out of yale <laughs> and also Good published
1: stuff. in the so- journal of social psychology, psychology. Which, which is, is very, very interesting, interesting. I, I love agreed. it i noticed yeah. that too those are small little nuances mm-hmm. of like a Why scaffolded this? mind yeah published in a social yeah social psych journal. Right.
2: I also love the selection of this article because it does something like we did something in choosing this article that, um, I teach a lot of my students and research methods, which is the reference list of your other articles that you really like hold Great. like a treasure yes. trove yes. of relevant articles for you to continue reviewing. And you, so if
1: you, you mean I'm not supposed to just like skip those? No, no, they're, not, they're in there for a reason. Skip over the parentheticals. Oh, oh. oh. no.
0: Also, I like to think of it as a well. It's not even cheating. It's more like a, a fun trick for your own research process. Of wait a second, somebody has already done this process for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Between that and academia, you know, research does not have to be a miserable process of Google scholaring over and over and hoping no. to find something mm-hmm. relevant. No, no, no. Yes. No.
2: Mm-hmm. And this was so. If you remember back to our uh, previous episode on roots to embodiment this is an article that was referenced in that publication. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we wanted to just further expand our understanding on this podcast of what embodied experience really is mm-hmm. um, and how that gives way to our actual like organization of mind. Yeah.
0: And I would love to give some context to uh, kind of why I wanted to do this article and the next one that we're going to do. Because yeah. um, I think it has a really good uh, feel to it, um, and considering that it's a series on embodiment and uh, somatic awareness, um, this feels very relevant. Which is the Roots to Embodiment was kind of an overview of the many mechanisms of embodiment. Yeah. And with this article, what we're doing is a zooming in. Um, on one particular part of that that is incredibly relevant as therapists and as humans and all kind of things and next time we're going to do exactly the opposite which is a massive zooming out Mm -hmm. (laughs) into the world of eco-somatics which i don't know if you guys are super aware of eco-somatics but it's the understanding of um our bodily connection to earth like Mm -hmm. literal planet earth um and understanding how somatic work also includes uh ecological work mm-hmm. um, so that is the massive zooming out so this is the zoom in and next time we'll zoom out and the the effort there is to kind of give a very big picture of exactly how big the world of somatics is mm. and the complexity of here's why it's sort of hard to talk about the details of what is somatic psychology because it is just huge and we yeah. need a lot of understanding of all of the different subgenres that go under that Um, So that's why we kind of started with these overview articles of, you know, here's the general roots to embodiment. We're going to zoom in and then we're going to zoom out and then we'll pick some things, I think, just based on uh, preference. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And fun, which is what I would like to do. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so I just kind of wanted to give context of why out of all of the articles did we pick the ones that we did.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, before we get into the article, what? I, I want to do something. I want to shout out Patreon. Oh wow! Oh, I want to give you. a little a little uh, invite mm-hmm. to those who are not. Uh, if you would like to support us in any way, uh, as well as have access to a ton of content, mm-hmm. yeah, that is kind of ever unfolding, and we're planning more and more kind of as yes. the weeks go by. Um, but to us, like the best part of Patreon is that we get to connect. With listeners, yeah we get to field your questions answer them create communities of curiosity um so if you are interested in joining patreon head over to patreon.com backslash beyond center yep and uh just follow the prompts there donate however much you want um, and then welcome to the beautiful community of people right. who are engaging in yeah. deeper conversations based on what we're talking about uh-huh. um and really trying to find even more nuances which is so beautiful that because is beautiful
0: find. there there is a cool thing that's coming to patreon that i'm excited about so i'll share you know one of our other favorite things that we love to do is do consultation mm-hmm. and we do a lot of it and uh, we have several consultees that we work with that are just you know amazing and brilliant therapists that are doing such incredible work. Um, And we have several people that have agreed to uh, share recordings of their sessions that we have, you know, gone over with them and critiqued with them. And they're just really profoundly great sessions that highlight some of the concepts that we feel like are really important. And so um, we're getting more and more content of actual um, recordings of real life sessions with Mm -hmm. different therapists besides just ourselves, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's coming to Patreon and we're going to keep trying to find new content like that because, um, you know, as we've engaged with you guys about what feels the most supportive to you, those, uh, opportunities kind of be in the room with as somebody is doing therapy seems to be, um, very sought after and Mm. desired. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so we're going to try to get more of that content and this is one of the cool ways that we can do it. And so that you guys can get perspectives from other therapists besides just ourselves. So Mm -hmm. that's coming soon to a Patreon near you. (laughs) Hey, that's awesome.
2: (laughs) Nice. So the scaffolded mind.
0: Yeah. Where do we begin?
2: I'm so excited.
0: There's so much stuff here.
1: I would like to just say, um, uh, to give a frame of reference for what type of article this is, because mm-hmm. um, yeah. Melissa, you, you mentioned that it's sort of like a deep dive, mm-hmm. like very specific. Um, and the, the re- researchers, Williams, Huang and Barg um, from Yale University are doing a deep dive, but they're doing a deep dive of Synthesis, yeah, conceptual
2: yeah. synthesis. Um, yeah. This
1: article I just counted has 91 references. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like it's a beefy back it's there, it's like an eight, six to seven, eight page article, mm-hmm. yeah, and it has 91 references. So they're doing yeah. a ton of um, uh, overview and analysis of a lot of different um, embodiment studies and how um, somatic experiences are um contributing to our higher mental um, functioning, uh, higher mental processes. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, even though it is like a deep dive, there's still like, it's crazy that they're still synthesizing. Yeah. Yes. Um, lots of different ways higher mental processes are affected um, by these um, lower mental processes connected to embodiment and somatic experiences. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So one, one great way of highlighting this is in the foundational concepts portion, there's one little sentence here, and behind that one little sentence, the citation has, I think, maybe 12 or 13 different references behind yes. that one sentence. Hmm. <laughs> That's my kind of That work is right a sign of a good synthesis that they are uh, bringing together lots of diverse references that are all coming to the same conclusions and making the same points, and that uh, is, I think. Part of why I really liked this article, mm-hmm. um, that it was very well done in bringing together that much information into a really succinct little article. It's short, short, but meaty. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also readers, uh, or listeners, but also readers, if you're reading along, you go yeah. back and read it. Um, will hear a lot of connections. A lot of my margins have words like neurosequentiality, mm-hmm. um, Um, the flow of energy and information, lots of callbacks to, I think is the second episode we did, which is Bruce Perry's memories of of fear and he has that neurosequential model of therapeutics. Um, this is like another kind of piece of that puzzle of how the higher uh, tertiary processes are formed by our, um, early sensory motor experiences. Yeah.
2: And that really is kind of like the beginning of this article in talking about, um, Really, from the very beginning, you're starting to encounter um, ways of organizing experience through your um, being in the world, yes. in the mm-hmm. physical world, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that that really is the way that you're, you know, I don't know, sometimes uh, I talk about this with clients, like, you ever think about the way that you know things? Mm-hmm. Like, what you know, yes, but the way that you know it, like, that in and of itself is based on your experiences in the physical world early in life. Like yeah. it showed you the types of mental structures available to you to organize your lived experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So here's a funny example of this, and there's many better examples that we're gonna get to, but I've just been thinking about this a lot because I'm a mom to a small child, and this is very relevant. So Honora got a trampoline for her fourth birthday, and we were out there playing on her trampoline the other day, And I went inside the house for a second and I came back out and here's my kid running her tongue along the inside of the net that, you know, encloses her in the thing. And she probably did that, I don't know, 10 times straight, so much so that her tongue was sore the next day. And we had to talk about why that was a poor choice. But the point is for the rest of her life, she will know exactly what netting feels like in her mouth.
2: That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Like she,
0: she will never forget that particular sensation because she thoroughly explored it. And I think... Um, The reason why I bring that up is if you look at a surface nearby you and you ask yourself What would that feel like if I ran my tongue on it? You know and the (laughs) reason that you know is because that is exactly how your body learned to uh, interact with its environment when you were young and so that is just one tiny little tip of the iceberg example of how Relevant this is in us making sense of our environment that it has to do with our physical interactions with it in the earliest Moments of life and the few earliest years of life that mm-hmm. our body in the world is how we begin to know our world
2: Yes mm-hmm. And that we come in with and this is some of the delineation that the article does in, Like initially is that we come in with a genetic coding that has some of these like preset templates yeah. of how we're going to start experiencing physical stimuli mm-hmm. And so it's this combination, uh, again, we see research pointing to the yes between is it nature or nurture? Right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the article talks about the ways in which that then genetic coding is further um, contextualized to the being um, that inherited that uh, evolutionary Biology to then take it into the lived experience in the yeah. physical world yeah. and start having oh I have nets available to me to put uh-huh. my tongue on <laughs> that's right <laughs> not just other things like not rocks yeah. and whatever else
0: yeah and I think one of the kind of main foundational concepts are you know theses mm-hmm. is that the plural plural mm-hmm. of thesis yeah. yeah theses in this article um, that I really liked is how our body and our sensory motor experiences become the foundation for every abstract thought that we will later have yeah that part of the reason why human beings are capable of such uh, complex and abstract interaction is because of the way that we process that early sensory motor information and how much meaning we make of it and how we utilize it as the structure that we build all of our thinking on for the rest of our life yeah um and it's part of It's also part of how we have a lot of unity around abstract concepts, Mm. you know, for instance, things like, um, well, one of the examples that they used in here was the concept of romantic love Yeah, and just how much commonality there is now, of course, there's other reasons why we have commonality, but when we look at, you know, all of the cultures of the world and how similar. Even in the differences, there's so much similarity. And why could that possibly be? And it has to do with the way that our species interacts with abstract concepts, um, being very based in our physical experience. And because all of us as a species have a relatively similar body that inhabits our world we have the basic uh, foundation that is similar to every one of us yeah. and it makes us able to connect in abstract ways with a common foundation which i think is really cool
2: yeah mm-hmm. and that foundation and the whole concept of scaffolding is that at the foundational level it's the simplest parts yeah. that will go on to in their various combination and new additions of uh, new stimuli or new concepts or constructs you'll then get to be more complex in the things that you're able to represent mentally or in an embodied sense, uh, in your felt sense, you'll be Mm -hmm. able to actually have a greater capacity to like, you know, I'm thinking of Melissa, when you said, when you look at something and imagine like, what would that feel like if my tongue were to come into contact with that? Like my mind can like zoom in, like I'm looking at this leaf right now. Mm -hmm. Like I can like zoom into it in my mind because of my like ability to complexify my mental representations and actually say like, Oh, I bet it would kind of feel like this. Mm -hmm. And so by that then, uh, you know, inter contemplation and then environmental exploration, I can start to add to the accuracy, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and the complexity of my mental representations, Mm -hmm. which
0: is what children do constantly. You see babies putting stuff in their mouth all the time. And they're running little experiments to improve their, their ability to correctly, uh, you know, interact with their world and have better prediction making mechanisms and all of that. Accurately. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They're like constantly consuming that information. And the more they're able to do that, the more it sets them up to have a really intricate, um, you know, physical foundation for all of the abstractness that they'll have to move into as they get older.
1: Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking, Kayla? Well, there's a part (laughs) of me that's sort of was reminded of maybe what some listeners would know. Um, in connection with like Dan Siegel Mm -hmm. where he talks about the mind as a complex emergent process. And this idea that we're talking about of the scaffolding of the brain and learning from physical to abstractions is a, is an emergent process Mm -hmm. when I have, when I have two physical sensations that come together in my brain, they make a complex meaning, which then can eventually come into, you know, that feeling feels like a weight on my shoulders or like that experience was like, one of my favorites is to call things, and I don't know why I do this, but people get it and I get it. It's like, that was a spicy experience. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was like kind of like exhilarating yes. and kind of made me sweat, but also like yeah. I liked it.
2: I yeah. struggled with moments of like, is this too much? No, yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That There's
1: was There's a spicy. lot of complexity
0: like, to it. Yeah. It yeah. called my attention to it. Yeah. yeah. There's
1: so many like ways to talk about that, but yeah. the, the embodied relation to that mm-hmm. is much more clear. Um, And we all have that, kind of like what you were saying, Melissa, like, we all share this experience of embodiment Mm -hmm. to one degree or another. And so sometimes our language just taps into that and can use that to communicate. And it's much vaguer in abstraction, but much more clear in its communication.
0: Well, so this goes to the old adage of a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And I will potentially further that and say a body sensation is worth a million words Mm -hmm. right in our communication when we evoke a commonly experienced physical sensation such as that was spicy right Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know what we're communicating with a simple phrase like that is all of the intricate detail and information Um, of the physical experience of eating something spicy Mm. and how long and how many words would it take you to say the same thing without being able to reference that shared physical experience? Yeah. Yeah. Lots and lots. And so I think, um, this is one of those things about the human species that is so incredibly efficient in yes. our way of organizing our experience and processing our information, is that if we had to rely on language alone in order to make sense of our experience, it would take us a very long time. Yeah. But the shortcut of referencing what is held in the body with all of its layers and complexity... And memory. Oh and, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yes, it, it means that we can um, move into deep complexity and abstractions in our thinking much faster and with a lot more substance because we're using that as a reference point that yeah. holds so much in it.
2: Yeah. And that, you know, the article grounds that in our evolutionary understanding of scaffolding, yes. uh, embodied scaffolding, um, for the sake of survival. Mm-hmm. Like we, because of the nature of the world, you know, being a species that in many regards, especially when we're alone are incredibly, uh, vulnerable. Yeah. Um, very easily um, toppled over and um, you know destroyed in many ways, mm. and so we evolutionarily had to develop ways in which we could uh, outthink, maybe not cognitively, but in our bodies, um, outmaneuver. Outmaneuver. That was the word that was just <laughs> coming to my mind. <laughs> That's a body word. Yeah, yeah exactly. Outmaneuver um, the uh, adversities in our environment, yeah. and then be able to plan in such a way, build community in such a way that we would be able to. Uh, prevent even the origination of those uh, issues in our environment, mm-hmm. and that that is based on the scaffolding of the mind from an embodied place. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, is just such a beautiful way of understanding yeah. um, what are we? What does it mean to be human, right. Like to make meaning of things. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, and the, the myth of being a brain on a stick is yeah. just mm-hmm. fundamentally wiped away. Thankfully,
2: it's wrong. Yeah. Oh, yes. Thankfully. Yeah, because if it much. was correct, we would not be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't even know how to make sense. No. You don't have yeah, you're per- because I don't have senses. Yeah. That could exist, that but was it would be human.
0: It would be a something else. Yeah. Yeah. It would yeah. Be a brain <laughs> on a stick is. thing. It's, it's, yeah. not yeah. Yeah. No. it's not us. Yeah.
2: It's not us. Yeah. And the associative capacities of the brain um in making meaning of similar uh stimuli even if they don't like look similar on the outside, mm-hmm. we start just running through these um mm-hmm. templates in our mind of what um of what we could use in our lived experience to make sense of the stimuli unfolding around us and in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, that to me is just such a like profound, uh, evolutionary adaptation of the human species that we don't need to even have like any experience with something to be able to know how to initially start to interact with it.
0: Well, and that goes back to what we talked about on the last episode in regards to the simulation system. Yes. Part of being a social species and what what it really means to have collected, collective embodied knowledge is that through our simulation system and our mirror neurons, we get to benefit from the knowledge and the experience by observing other mm-hmm. members of our species. And we don't even have to have the experience in order to almost fully embody what that information yeah. is and what it really means. If I watch somebody almost fall off a cliff, my body understands all of that mm-hmm. and, and knows exactly what to do with that information, <laughs> yeah. what to do, what to not do. I don't have to personally go up and you know stand next to that cliff to understand why that's a bad idea. That allows us to survive as a species because we're able to share knowledge uh, without the need for language. And this begins to give us a lot of information about how did we survive? before there was recorded language, before Mm -hmm. there was the dissemination of information in the way that we now understand it. We were sharing information Mm -hmm. body to body Mm -hmm. through simulation, through mirroring each other. And this is so much of the mechanism that underlied that that made that possible in the first place. This is also how little kids learn so much Mm -hmm. and you know, learn socially before language is even really an option for them. They are embodying wisdom that they're observing all around them all the time, Mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I think this article does like an interesting, um, dance around finding s- just a, a multitude of studies that are looking at very general principles of, mm-hmm. um, scaffolding space, time, um, yeah. distance, interpersonal um, distance, yeah, mm-hmm. interpersonal mm-hmm. distance, um, different love you and they even yeah. talk about like morality and dirtiness and yeah. Um, temperature temperature yeah Yeah. um these are very like broad um broadly like um generalizable studies but then also like they do a good job i think of relating it back to every person's like individual experience is going to influence Mm -hmm. how they're making sense of the world and they they reference um pongsep actually yeah his article about uh the use of physical pain um, uh, neuronal networks in social pain experiences yeah. and how people's in in that article Pongsep is talking about the affective circuitry of social pain but um, one of the kind of points that is in that discourse is how um, the, the different experiences of physical pain can influence the different um, thresholds and even mm-hmm. like um, um, like qualities, the qualitative experience of pain, mm-hmm. whether it, if it's social, their physical experiences of pain matter yeah. because the, the mind is, is taking social pain and putting it on top of the already, um, formed templates of physical pain right. and trying to make sense of it that way.
2: Right. Well,
0: and I think, um, you know, one of the core sort of constant wrestling, mm. Uh, experiences in somatic psychology is what do we really mean when we're talking about something being embodied and i feel like that's a really good example of it's it's not even so much i think that the the mind is referencing the body but it's in that moment where we really see that they are the same thing (laughs) Hmm. oh (laughs) yeah dan siegel right there yeah Yeah. like it it is the mind you know body body is us right the that weird cartesian dualism problem is showing up again and like Hmm. in our desire to understand we separate from it which i think is really natural we want to you know stand back from it so we can observe it but there's a lot of um work to be done in really understanding just how embedded we are in our body that our mind and our body are not actually separate they function simultaneously um, yeah. You know, the the intermingling and the intertwining that occurs there makes it almost uh, impossible to understand them in any separate way. Um, and the more that we understand that as therapists, I think particularly as trauma therapists, the more things uh, show up in a really obvious way of how do I work with what is happening here? Mm. You know, whatever is occurring in my client's body and whatever we're wrestling with together, Of really understanding that it's all the same thing, that it's all happening simultaneously, uh, to me really deepens our work, but also gives us a lot of um, guidance. And what do I do with it?
2: Yeah, yeah. there's a. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. Well, I was gonna take another loop on a different idea. Okay,
1: because I, on that note, one of the things that my brain goes to is like in therapy. um, I have this like interesting curiosity when someone's language um, about trauma or just mm-hmm. about their life in general becomes really detached yes. from any sort of, like, um, experience-oriented language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of just, like, it, that, they, other kind of languaging. Yeah, third-person narrative, yeah. yeah. Um, and has very few even, like, sensory cues in it. Mm-hmm. And that tells me that, like the brain disformulated or I get, I guess it doesn't tell me. I get really curious about if there is a disformulation of experience Mm -hmm. lower in the brain where like some, some bit of the affect or the emotional experience was intolerable. So the brain is splitting and becoming very oriented in abstractions. Yes. And that's a learned scaffold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like they're learning to make sense of their experience.
0: Well, okay. So, in line with this article it would be very interesting to explore the client's embodied experience of proximity and distance um to whatever the material of that trauma is Mm -hmm. right um that You know, this article is pointing to whatever our previous experience was with those themes, Mm -hmm. then that is going to show up in the way that we make sense of it after the fact. So, for instance, somebody that spent a lot of time socially is what we would consider a wallflower, right? In observation, their body literally far away from other bodies, and then them in observation of the other bodies over there, so to speak that will show up in the way that they process their, their trauma. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Their, their tendency to distance themselves from all things um, as a safety mechanism, that is going to show up in the way that they speak about it, the way that they narrate, not mm-hmm. just because that's exactly what happened, but because that is their physical orientation to the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. That is what it, they got built upon was this uh, need to distance. Experience to is always over away. there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. As opposed to people that when they talk about it, it might not, they might not even have been there, but when they tell the story, it's, it's as if they <laughs> yes, yeah. as if they were yeah. right there in the middle of it. Yeah. That's a proximity thing, yeah. right? How much time did they spend up close and personal skin to skin with other humans when they were little? You could probably guess by listening to how they tell stories about humans, whether Absolutely. it's their story or somebody else's story. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And really like any... Even just in observing the way in which they begin to work on a problem or work on describing something, yeah. um, you can start to see the like the physical location they place themselves in relation to the subject of interest that they're right. talking about. Mm-hmm. That right there is templated, yes. and I feel like that we here <laughs> like just pass over that of just like of course it is, hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. But to so many, yeah. like, what are you talking about? Like my cognition. Is a reflection of my physical experience. Where my body was based as a child Mm -hmm. through
1: time and space. Like what? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But that yes, like every function of the body is templated on previous experience, Mm -hmm. every single one. Mm -hmm. So even, especially, perhaps most of all, your mind, your ideas, your cognitions, your thoughts. Are themselves so intimately and dependently connected to the physical experience all throughout your life?
0: Okay, so this bit is where to me the magic really starts to happen as if you know all this was not magical so Yes Our mind is scaffolded in a way that it is built upon our body and our actual corporeal experience Mm -hmm. corporeal is a fancy word for like body but more than body i don't really know how to explain it look it up <laughs> yeah Matter. Um, it's latin yeah ma- so. our matterness <laughs> yeah. yes our, our beingness etc um but because that link is so profound and strong later in life it also works in the inverse so this is why our body is so dang sensitive to the way that we tell story Right, they're constantly in this dynamic feedback loop of informing each other of how to be, right? So for instance, as somebody that spends a lot of time, well, okay, let's say you are a physically slight person. You're a little person in the world, right? That is going to inform like all kinds of things. Also, the inverse is true. Mm-hmm. If you're you know, six, seven, and 300 pounds and you walk through the world with that body, that's gonna be very evident in the way that you process little, literally everything that you ever experience. Mm-hmm. But then um, that, that reality and the way that I make sense of it and tell stories about it is going to begin to inform my body as well. And this is why uh, you see people begin to collapse in on themselves if their story is too intertwined with the need to disappear and, and the smallening Right, as opposed to stories of expansion, right? Mm-hmm. So the stories that we tell ourselves begin to feed back to our body, yeah, and begin to literally shape our body, yes. and the chemical um, makeup of what's going on in there. And this constant uh, feedback loop shows story, up, in follow therapy. State, yeah, follow story follows, state follows, story, follows, story, follow story, yeah. And you know, then it's the, the chicken or the egg issue. But what I like about this article is saying. The beginning of the story is always the body because that's what we have first, mm-hmm. right? It's it's the starting point point. Um, and so always coming back there and and Referencing the power of those original early body Experiences helps us understand why we see the kinds of complexities yeah. that we do
2: Caleb when we were talking about the uh, three selves and the sensing behaving narrating self and the interpersonal neurobiology of intersubjectivity, all of that that this to me is, is just another way of talking about that. Um, Daniel Stern, another um, just wonderful developmental theorist and uh, psychoanalyst, talks about that there are three elements of uh, embodied experience. There's sensory, there's motor, there's affective, and that these form uh, process units by which we would literally scaffold the construction of our mind and resulting in these massive representations that are so interconnected with all these different sensory, these different motor, these different affective stimuli that now we can almost like create a automated version of reality in our head Mm -hmm. by which we can run simulation after simulation of how an event would go. Yes. Um, And you start to look at the physical size of the person as one example, you're going to get different sensory motor affective process units that then shape our animation of mind and all these things. Like, Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah and can we like like really get into that like for a second because um your sensed experience and your like ability to motor like produce motor activity yeah behavior is is a way to influence the world yeah and so if you have a lot of like if your sensory motor process units are filled with like activation that is uh goal oriented that gets to the goal.
2: Right. That actually is quote unquote successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: That's going to shift your whole affective experience. And thus, like, yeah. Re template. And then I can do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But then also like, okay, so there's that let's pause there to, to take it another step further then we all know that we all have very different bodies. Yeah. Um, we're incredibly alike, but we're also incredibly different. Mm. And to me, there's like this, this is where the human, species the human race like um has a wisdom that i i don't even know how to put words to because a tall person needs a short person at times mm-hmm. in, intersubjectively yeah. to make sense of the world yes and a short person needs a tall person and a strong person needs a weak person and a
0: so this seems so obvious to us say why why well, do we need each other in that way in our yeah, diversity?
1: Yeah. Well, if, okay, carry the scaffold, the strategy, I don't know how to just like not sound too objectifying, but like mm-hmm. the tall kind of uh broad person mm-hmm. who has a lot of like mass. energetic mass mm-hmm. presence Bigness. in the world yeah. mm-hmm. has this like ability to manifest energy in, in his, env- his or her environment or their environment that, creates change just because they take more it creates space immediate effect yeah yeah and people are kind of responsive to that in different ways with
0: so, less energetic output because it doesn't mean that the small person can't have massive impact but yeah. the energetic oh, output yeah. is different yeah.
1: yes yeah and so scaffold that uh, many times but then what happens when life requires that you aren't mass impacting yeah. your environment yeah what about the times where you oh. actually need to cry to bring people yes. closer so, than to be a mass that uh, enforces like a sort of like reaction outward? Mm-hmm. Well, you need the strategies that maybe the scaffolding quote unquote small person yeah. has experienced the power of what it means to be small. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and I have like, a
2: client story okay, that I feel yeah. like will elucidate this. around this. Okay. Yes. So um, I'm working with uh, a couple who is recently um, their new parents, and having a lot of difficulty in understanding like this transition? They're both musicians, have performed together for years, and have like a pretty like um, intense life in that way. So this was a big slowdown mm-hmm. to whoa, small baby. <laughs> And the, uh, not the,
0: into traveling on the road and no. you know, going to shows yeah. every night. having all oh, yeah.
2: this, yeah, like crazy <laughs> life change, but the husband self-identified as a bear and oh. he kind of looks like a bear, honestly, <laughs> like big guy, uh, kind of, yeah, like six, five, um, much taller than me, huge beard. Deepest voice I think I've ever heard aside from one of our close friends that we know, but but like close to that That level of just like his energy was just so massive and he talked about the uh, When he truly knew that there were an entire like World of experience that he didn't have any contact with up to that point was when his little Daughter came into the world and he said this bear Became a pup
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: and he was like talking about like yeah. I like, and his wife was reflecting on it too. Just like it was unreal to see this big energy like get onto the floor and play with her in mm-hmm. her mobile. Yeah. yeah, and like just like so delicately, right. like just moving her like hands around. Yes, and and
0: the, and the so so like really coming into the body in that moment is. What is it doing in the, all of him, right? In his nervous system, in his mind, in his way of conceptualizing himself in the world to literally use his big, massive bare fingers. Who
2: his thumb was as the size of her hand.
0: Hand, right? And, and then to touch the tininess with such delicacy Mm -hmm. and move it in a playful, intricate, you know, gentle way he may have never touched something like that in that way ever. And in that moment, like his entire system is expanding and contracting, you know, with massive (laughs) uh, convulsions, like trying to figure out how to be in this new way, simply because his fingers had to do something that they'd never done before. And that's what we're talking about. Yes, exactly. I'm
1: so curious how his previously scaffolded ways of making meaning in the world will shift Shift. because at the, at the embodied level, He's simulating a totally different world of experience. Well, yeah,
2: he would talk about the ways, like, sometimes he would forget that because the baby was so light to him Mm. that he's even holding her. And so he's like, it was such a strange experience to, like, think about, am I, I'm holding her right now. She's here. I'm, I'm holding her, but I can't, like, really feel, feel, but she's warm. Right. And so, like connecting with like different ways of knowing. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's this small human that's well,
1: overweight,
0: and, and and so imagine for that human being who is so large that many things in the world have very little impact that's exact, on him. That's exactly. That's So yeah. impermeable yes. to delicate experience. Yeah. <laughs> and then to be confronted with something like this, you know, I would be incredibly curious. Like, how does that theme show up in his life? Yes. You know the the bluntness of uh, you know, things not really penetrating him very easily. Like, I bet that might be a theme that shows up in more way oh, than yeah. one.
2: Oh <laughs> yeah, the like, and just honestly, like the the strange emotional effect that this had on his wife mm-hmm. to watch mm-hmm. him care for yeah, yeah. their daughter. It was oh, just yeah. like, who is this man? Yeah, a
0: transformation. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
2: like what is happening? Because like his his classic disposition in the room was just like broad shouldered kind of slouched over and like mm-hmm. furrowed brow. Mm-hmm. It's like bear. <laughs> it
0: was just like, like like he might growl. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and like he his voice yes.
2: his voice starts deep in his uh-huh. belly and uh-huh. you can hear it before he even starts to speak. It's like
1: bubbles it,
2: like, <laughs> up like it was unreal. And so he's got this like little girl yeah. in his arms yeah. and he's just like it's like staring at her. So just like <laughs> pro like, what,
1: what are you? <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: right. Right. That it can create such an existential moment. Yes. Right. For mm. somebody that is that massive to come into intimate yeah. contact with something so tiny and delicate and then be um, required. Well, maybe not required, but invited in a really profound way to engage with it yeah, and mm. make meaning of it for himself. And, and as a parent, that is part of me like that being came from me and what does that mean that this little tiny thing is very much like me right all of that is just yeah profound in terms of when people say that becoming a parent changed them it really is the physical experience of it Mm. that i think changes us the most profoundly things that uh, we've never done before ways of being that we've never been before all of that happens in our body it is such a biological thing not to mention just the hormonal changes that also happen for men by the way in parenthood yes right like all of that is so relevant um <laughs> what's the face Caleb uh,
1: yeah just another callback to ponks up <laughs> that's <Sorry>. right <laughs> cool and
0: sure like oh, and sure the,
2: yeah okay. synchronicity yeah
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that,
2: I, yeah, I love that example. Yeah, I do dad. too. But it like really gets to like what you were talking about of like a tall person needs a short person, a short yeah. person needs a tall person. Yeah,
1: and to like bring it to inner subjectivity. Yeah, and like there's a beauty beyond like what we could probably study and come up with in words of just like how we need each other mm-hmm. and how interdependent we are, yeah. and. Like that even comes down to our bodies and our experience of our bodies in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: So this, this is an interesting thing to me. I was recently talking to someone that I may or may not be with. And he said to me, I bet you think that sports are stupid. Which was a very interesting thing to say. (laughs) And I understand like what the, what the heart was behind it. And when I thought about it, I realized that the reason why I don't is actually because of this. The translatability of physical experience through athletics, through music, through dance, through art, et cetera, has a direct impact on the way that we engage with and make sense of the world, Yeah. right? So yes, there's a million reasons why, you know, American football has some problems and I'm not ignoring any of those. But there is so much good in a culture having a unified understanding of physicality in that way because it gives us a unified sense of how to engage with the world. Yeah. Now, are there some problems with it? Absolutely, yeah. but there's also a lot of beauty about it. right? There's some incredibly great things about a culture being able to have a, a sense of unity around a shared physical experience because it provides a shared uh, meaning making experience and Mm -hmm. it's it's through these mechanisms that the way that we understand our world is very based on physical experience and the way that we make sense of body Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so for all those reasons i'm very pro sports even though i'm terrible at them (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah Uh yeah Uh there's like
1: an interesting part of that past discussion to me that feels like um i i want to make sure in my own body i i felt and I think I even said it, like I'm trying not to objectify mm-hmm. and there's like this interesting balance point between, um, being the self, which you truly are mm-hmm. and objectifying like the fa- your body. So like being mm-hmm. like, there's this moment of like accepting I'm a tall person. I'm a short person. I'm a, I'm a loud energy. I'm an emotional a, person. Yeah, I'm like a, I'm a quiet energy. I'm like a,
3: mm-hmm. and, and
1: not to, cause there's like a, a very there's a big um, probably temptation to just write this off as like oh so you're just saying everyone's determined like by their body yeah they're predetermined yeah. by their yeah. body and their their physical experiences and we mm-hmm. can't like that that's so limiting and deterministic it's like uh, well I I don't see it as yeah. deterministic and I both it, and in all of that. yeah right. I see it as like this beautiful balance of like I'm not saying that's all you are but I'm saying that. That informs informs the self which you are. It
2: is the yeah the posture by which you begin,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, and carry through with you. Yes,
2: not to
0: say the foundation that that you build upon for your entire life. Yeah,
2: and not to say that you can't change that, but you have to exert energy uh, and gather new experiences, have new connections with Mm -hmm. others in order to to change that. One of the articles or one of the researchers that they reference in this um, Solomon Ash. Uh, another social psychologist done has done a ton of research on uh, Social conformity mm-hmm. and even just like the way in which we know our place in the world How do we know where we fit what the expectations are etc? And I think one of the takeaways from that research is that we are not uh, Just organically going to go against our preset foundation That's right. to go and have a new experience Like, especially as social creatures, we're going to go with what feels the most, you know, the path of least resistance. Go with the template that the world is accepting you to fill right now and continue on being.
0: Well, and I feel like, you know, given everything that you just said, Bridger, and then also, you know, the very basic and literal interpretation of this. Yes, we could be deterministic about it and say, you know, okay, I've got the body I've gotten, therefore, you know, that's what I've gotten. I can't do anything about it. Or we can come to it and say, body is our, is our place to learn. Yeah. Right. This is our, our first and our best laboratory that Mm -hmm. is with us for the entirety of our lives. In some ways, it's our only real laboratory. Everything that you do is experienced through the perception of this organism. And so if we if we learn how to work with it, body becomes a, a place of meaning making and lesson learning in perpetuity. Um, this is why somatic therapies work. Yes. Right. So so an example That is something that we do a lot here at Beyond Healing, and so I think it's a great example. When we have somebody come for a retreat or intensive trauma work and we identify, because this is almost universal nowadays, that they're struggling with knowing uh, how to receive um, nurture and care in a relationship, one of the ways that we work with that is by sending them to our trauma-informed massage therapist to bodily receive nurture touch. Mm And that, that is because of this concept of your body is your laboratory to receive deep emotional information and very abstract concepts are experienced through one physical experience, right? So yeah. we can get so much more done therapeutically when we work directly with the body in that way, because that's how we're wired to learn. That's mm-hmm. how we change is through the somatic laboratory, mm-hmm. right? So. As therapists if we can understand that body is there to help us learn right to help us uh, make change and adjust to our environment and rather than seeing it as this deterministic thing that is being put upon us um, of really inhabiting it as a space to practice and explore to me feels incredibly inviting mm-hmm. uh, you know like one thing that I'm working with right now is uh, the the embodied experience of taking up space And so, because I'm curious about that in an abstract conceptual sense, my body provides me an opportunity to play with the concepts of space inhabiting through breath. The inhalation is constriction and being small. The exhalation being I am imposing myself on the world. And so to feel what that feels like through the work of breath is what somatic work is all about. Mm-hmm. right. How can I take this abstract concept and actually embody it, put it in the body, and understand it? and And what this paper is saying is that's not just conceptual. That's literal. That's neurobiological that it that is how we're wired to work, yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. the body is where it's at for me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think this, you know, this research is right in line with all that we've been kind of talking about and doing in this podcast since it's inception. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, kind of one of my takeaways of the article is that just paying attention to the way our thoughts emerge as being evidence of Our early lived experience Mm -hmm. and the ways that we saw ourselves and experienced ourselves and saw others felt ourselves yes exactly experienced Mm -hmm. as a whole all faculties involved and that that wasn't just a moment in time but that it had a a reciprocally conditioning effect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on the way our brain was organized the way our body developed and the way then our world reflected that Mm -hmm. and the the cycle continues yes Mm
1: -hmm. yes yeah what a beautiful grounding and, like, so much of this article is left to be unsaid. yeah. Oh, like, yeah. there's so much on morality. And oh, so much. Goal attainment. And, yeah. yeah. And, and what it means, like, what would it be like for me? Like, one of the takeaways I'm going to kind of play around with is, like, what would it be like if someone is struggling with those, with different concepts to actively conceptualize on a week-to-week basis, like, what tethering body sensation or activity Um, can I ground this in so can we talk about this while we do something that is goal oriented in the body for cleanliness or for success or for Mm -hmm. whatever Uh and talk while doing those different embodiment experiences Mm -hmm. and what would that be like for the client
0: yes yeah that just reminds me of you know that Funny little bit of pop psych research on power stancing. You guys remember that? Yes. <laughs> there, There is a lot of truth in it. It was kind of presented in a very pop psych kind of way. But um, I had a great moment with a client who I've worked with for four years. And we've been doing EMDR. We've been doing ego state work. And it's been really challenging. Just mm. tender, painful at times, very raw work. But she's been so dedicated to it. And she came in yesterday and we were reflecting together about kind of the big picture of the work that we've been doing and really finding some uh, grounding and and conclusion for some goals that we've been working on. And by the end of that conversation, she leaned back and stretched her feet out in front of her, put both hands behind her head and spread her elbows wide in like the proverbial power stance moment of I got this. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, do you feel what your body is doing?
3: Oh, what and a question. She, I know.
0: Yeah. And Ooh. she, she, she didn't change her body. She left it right there and she just sort of turned her head from side to side and she smiled at me. She said, I didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. It was so organic. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's body lovely. becomes the mirror of all of this work. Right. And, and it works in both directions, which is therapists gives us so much Grounding and how do we really work with this kind of thing? And so that's the opposite of what you're saying, Caleb Yeah, right. Oh, we, can, yeah. we can find an action to support the work But also when we see the action it is a reflection of the work that we've done and both are true Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and I'm I'm very oriented towards like the seeing the action and like bringing yes. that in but I'm curious like What it would be like to then this find, yeah. yeah, find the thing that their body is connecting with mm-hmm. this abstract concept and actively, like, integrate we that. we should
0: play with that and then, like, make some videos about it. I'd yeah. love to experiment with that. Yeah. That'd be very cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, a classic one was, you know, writing forgiveness letters and burning it. Yeah. And then saying, like, this is, like, an experience, but it doesn't have to haunt you anymore. Like, you can't grab this. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's, like, buried. It's buried yes. now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. That's oh, beautiful. Yeah. They're very, very cool ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, does this feel like a good it does. wrap-up spot, you guys? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for listening and... We hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about this as much as we enjoy it. Um, And if you want to hang out with us even more, we have lots of trainings coming up in 2022. We do it. This year is coming to an end. It's almost over, That's right. It really is. So our training calendar is beginning for 22. If you're interested in hosting a training, whether it be an EMDR training, a SIP1 training, or if you're already trained in SIP1, we also have SIP2 now, which is very exciting. That's right. Um, We also have our Trauma Informed Care training. Um, And we would love to come to wherever you are and hang out with you and your people um, and train you in any of those things. So uh, whether you want to attend one of ours that's scheduled somewhere else or host one of your own, you can uh, find all that information on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com and just go to the trainings tab. And the calendar will be there. I don't know if it's there yet, <laughs> but it'll be there soon. It'll be there eventually. Um, and what you can read is descriptions of the trainings mm-hmm. and uh, figure out which one feels like uh, the right fit for you. And if you ever want to get on the phone with a, one of us and say, hey, what's a good next step for me in my professional development? That's the thing that we do here at Beyond Healing Love is it. talk to individual therapists about, you know, where are you in your clinical development? And what is the a good next step for you uh, to really meet your, your professional goals? So Mm -hmm. let us know how we can help in that way and come hang out with us at a training. And thanks so much for listening, you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com slash media. Also, subscribe to our Patreon to support us at patreon.com slash beyondhealingcenter. Find all episodes on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening.
1: Sick. Get back. Get a little That's Get a, right, a pee. kids. It's
0: I'm so a about the next one too. Ecological embodiment. Yeah, ecosomatics. ecosomatics. Yeah. They can't decide. They call it ecosomatics. They also call it uh, somacology. They're the same oh, thing. So okay. ecology.
3: If you enjoy what you hear on these episodes and are interested in speaking with one of us at Beyond Healing Institute, we would love for you to reach out about our consultation opportunities. Of all the many things that we do, consultation is one of the things that we enjoy most. We love supporting other clinicians and conceptualizing their cases from a neurobiological and nervous system informed perspective. We offer individual and group consultation for somatic integration and processing, as well as for EMDR therapy. Individual consultation is a great way to get personal time to reflect on your cases and how you and your work influence one another. Group consultation offers so many opportunities for learning and connection with other like minded clinicians. Our greatest mission at Beyond Healing Institute is to offer opportunities for professional development and create a supportive community in the field of mental health.
2: Beyond Healing Institute is excited to announce that we're moving. Okay, well, we're not moving our building, but we're moving our trainings, continuing education resources, and community events to Canvas. This will help you as a member of the community to stay in contact with other members of the Beyond Healing community, while also providing a platform that brings consistency and convenience to all of our trainings and course offerings. Canvas is an online learning management system that will be your home base for all things Beyond Healing, as well as a virtual campus that will house all of our trainings and continuing education resources. We're so excited to invite you to our virtual campus on Canvas And we hope to see you there soon.